This is a Crow's Nest podcast. And welcome back to Titanic Talkline. I am Alexia, and this week I am joined by Klaus Juden Vettelholm, a name that if you are familiar with the Titanic community, I'm hoping that you'll recognize. Hi, Klaus. How are, how are you today? I'm fine. I'm fine. <sighs> I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. I was just going to say I'm excited to talk to you. <laughs> it's getting dark here in Sweden. Is but it really? Yeah. But in five days, it will change, start going lighter again. Well, that'll be nice. It's still yeah. in the process here of being, you know, the sun starts going down at two o'clock in the afternoon mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. awful. Awful. <laughs> Pretty awful. But, um, but we have I no would... snow. Yeah. We do. No snow yet? We have a lot of snow. Oh, you have a lot of snow. We haven't had any snow here yet. Oh, bless you. <laughs> oh, I mean, I like the snow. To me, it doesn't feel like really winter until there's been at least a snow. <laughs> here it's been minus... Uh, 10 celsius this morning oh yeah good god oh yeah that's a little miserable Mm -hmm. oof uh anyway sorry i'm i'm gonna ask you my standard question just because i'm i'm curious what is your personal titanic story you've written so many books Mm -hmm. you're part of the titanic exhibition like your name is like synonymous with titanic but what's your well as they ask the superheroes what is your origin story if you mean my interest that starts, yes. yeah, it began <laughs> in 1960. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a program in Swedish television, um, which in a, it was an English program. Swede, the Swedish television had bought it from BBC, and it was mm-hmm. called Time to Remember. And um, sometime in the program, uh, the name Titanic was mentioned. So I asked my father, what is Titanic? And then he uh, went to the encyclopedia, as he always did, and read out what what Titanic was. Years later, he said he regretted he had read this to me, but that's another story. (laughs) Uh, Then many years later, in this video shop in London, I was looking for Titanic DVDs. And uh, over this shelf, I saw something called Time to Remember. And I said to myself, it couldn't possibly be this film I saw 50 years ago. But I bought the film and went to my friends in South London and said to Diana and Eric, if this is the film, if this is the program that I saw so long ago, it begins with this pendulum clock. Uh, so we started the film and there was the pendulum clock. So it was. <laughs> so I timed. I timed it. When is Titanic mentioned first? And therefore I know that my interest in the Titanic began 20 minutes to nine on the 21st of October, 1960. That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah, but it's actually true. I've timed it and it's 10 minutes. Then they mentioned Titanic and that's when it all started. Uh, And from then on, it's been an incredible journey. And it's not over yet. I was going to say, first of all, it can't possibly be over. And secondly, I'm sure there's a hundred million fascinating stops along Oh, yes. The road yeah. between oh, yeah. there and now, I guess. Like, how did how did you decide? You know, from an interest in Titanic, just you know, from from an interest because there's a lot of people, myself included, mm. who have that interest in Titanic. When did you decide that's like I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book about this? This is this is a thing I'm gonna dedicate my my yeah. time and resources and energy to. I had gone into the public archives in the early 1980s because of a friend of mine, now deceased. And then I, I started with the embass- embassies, in, for example, in the US and England. But right. then it came to my mind that there is something called the consulate archives. So I, I ordered all those um, capsules. And when I opened them, there was like a cross, a black cross over the paper. So I went to the dustbin and dusted it away and the, the guard looked at me and wondered what are you doing I said these are rubber bands from 1912 wow so nobody had been looking into this archive 
since it was put there in 1912. So it was like an archaeological ex ex expedition, really. And I found an amazing amount of material, letters, and so on. And then I did the same in uh, Norway, and I went into the archives of Finland and Denmark. And so the first book in 1988 covered all the Scandinavian passengers. Uh, wow. one, uh, 209, I think. So, uh, so it's a lot of people. So I, in my first book, I had biographies on everybody. Mm -hmm. It always, almost killed me. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was an incredible task. And there was no internet, no nothing. Right. I, no. But this, um, this was um, also thanks to an exhibition I made with the Maritime Museum here in Stockholm in 1987 when we went out in the press and asked for support and we got over 200 answers and very many of them were relatives of Titanic passengers. Wow. And so then I escorted our last Swedish um, survivor to a meeting in Boston in 1988 and there I met 10 survivors. Wow. And then from then on, uh, I was introduced to this man, George Tullock, Mm -hmm. who had then been out on the Titanic for the first recovery expedition. Yes, yes. And we started talking, and there was a request from the Maritime Museum in Stockholm to make an exhibition with erased artifacts, and we actually turned out to become the first museum in the world to do it on a large scale. So wow. in 1991, um, we had this exhibition called uh, Treasures of the Titanic, and I can assure you that the museum was swamped, was stormed. In six weeks, there were 66,000 people coming in to a museum that usually has 50,000 people throughout the year. Oh, my gosh. And because this was an incredible help to George, mm -hmm. was from then on ever grateful for what I'd done and what we had done. So then I was invited to four expeditions to the Titanic, starting in '93. So 93, 94, 96, and 98, I mm -hmm. went out. I've not wow. yet been diving to the ship, but everything in life in, is a question of time, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I had the enormous privilege of seeing all these artifacts, thousands of them coming up, yeah. investigating them, holding them, photographing them, everything you could think of. So because of that, I'm quite used to all these artifacts that have, have come up. Because of this, I was asked by a couple of people in Germany to make a very large exhibition in Hamburg in uh, 1997. So I worked in Germany and Switzerland from 96 till 2000. And then this resulted actually in a, a couple of people from Spain who contacted the, my German director, mm -hmm. uh, Reinhard, and he contacted me and said he had been approached by some people in Spain who had an exhibition. Right. And he added, and they are good people. And if Reiner said they are good people, <laughs> I believed him. So I, they came to Stockholm. We started talking, shook hands, and then I put a couple of, of um, uh, um, artifacts into their exhibition. And then I usually... Um, joke by saying that when I started working with this company, Musialia, we had one lorry. And now we have six. <laughs> because it's grown. And it's it's been in I don't know how many countries now. So I worked with them. Uh, next year is going to be 20 years. So wow. they, it's actually a family company and they become like my own family. I'm part of the family and they are part of my family. So we become very close friends and we work a lot together. And it's fantastic how you can connect. Mm -hmm. I usually say that Titanic takes you anywhere. Yeah. And Titanic brings people together. Yes. Like you and me here. Yes. Mm. So, you, so can, true. you can sit down with somebody who has shared this interest. Somebody you've never talked to before in your life. And you will talk immediately. You will yeah. become friends immediately. You will have different opinions, yes, but sure. you certainly have this uh, incredible interest. Now, I'm an ethnologist as well, so mm -hmm. um, my interest is not only the fascination of the Titanic, but I'm interested in the interest and 
how the Titanic became big. So one of my books published here in 2008 is called The Ship of Saga or or um, The Ship of Dreams or something like that. And it's about the myths and the money and the people. Because I need, I need to get a copy of that immediately. Yeah, uh, and um, um, the um, Titanic was for sale from day one. From day yes. one, you could yes. buy postcards, and within a week, you could buy books, prints, the records, music sheet. There was symphonies um, written and composed, and so on and so on and so on. So from, there was a movie made. Yeah, two movies in 1912. Mm-hmm. One movie inspired by this in 1913 in, in Denmark. And so it goes on and on and on. So you have the 1929 movie, 1943, 1953, 1958, and so on and so on. Up yeah. till um, Cameron's Titanic movie. Yeah. Um, he actually came to our exhibition in, uh, nine, let's see, 98, because the premiere of the film in Germany took place in our exhibition in Hamburg. Wow. I took him around there twice. Let's see. Let's say that we have different opinions of a lot sure. of Sure. It was fun to talk to him. And I think he liked talking to somebody who also had some knowledge. Yeah. But we have different opinions very much, I'd say. But, but um, it was fun talking to him. And he was very kind, very nice. And um, the Titanic movie, I usually say, is the best Titanic movie ever made about what never happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that, but I, I do believe it. As a Titanic historian, we shouldn't. I shouldn't go into destroying people's experience of the film because it's technically it's just outrageously good. It's fantastic, right? It's it's one of those. It, I bring this up a lot on my show because I talk to mm-hmm. both people right. who are you know deeply embedded in the historical side yeah. and people yeah. who are very very deeply in love with the film, and I, mm-hmm. I kind of come in between. I was eight when the movie came out, so getting oh. I, it was easy for me to get very stuck in that mm-hmm. Titanic, and I did. So that's how I initially came to it. But something you mentioned earlier um, is what kept me involved is that Titanic is very much a human story, whether mm-hmm. it be about mm-hmm. the passengers, the crew, the survivors, the victims, or the people currently involved. Yeah, Because I have a personal interest, but not the knowledge, in why it's big too. And that's why I really loved Stephen Beale's book, Down with the Old Canoe, which is yes. about the cultural mm-hmm. history. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see one about sort of the modern, because that was written, you know, quite some time ago. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see one now that tackles the post Cameron film mm-hmm. world, because I do believe mm-hmm. that in some very interesting way, it completely shifted the landscape of Titanic's future. Yes, it certainly did. And it was absolutely hysterical then. Um, part of this hysteria has now gone disappeared, which I'm grateful for. Uh, but uh, if I, if <laughs> I <laughs> it's difficult to say, almost impossible to say how many books, for example, have been published. But I, I think that since the wreck was uh, discovered in 1985, at least one book a, uh, a week has appeared. At least one book for 40 years. Uh, wow. So between uh, in 2011 and 2012, mm-hmm. I know how many books have been published because I bought them and it was a disaster to my wallet, but never mind. <laughs> uh, over 330 books. So there was one new Titanic book every second day for two years. Jeez. Yeah, I know. It's incredible. But I have them here, all of them. Wow. Uh, It's an incredible amount of, if I turn my computer a little, and I'll just show you a little, little part of the Titanic library. It goes like this. Wow. And it goes into the other rooms as well. So um, This is an entire wall of a room. Yeah, but there are more walls. <laughs> now, there are no more walls, so I can't buy any more books. <laughs> Space is at, a, is at yeah. an end. Yeah, But it's interesting that you mentioned the human story, because the exhibition that I work with, we, we have a, a name within the company saying it's the human story. Of mm-hmm. the, 
it's all it's it's really we've connected a person's story with a photo of the person and an and an artifact from this person. Right. We tell the story of certain individuals combined with the uh, something, for example, um, a wallet that was found on this person's body or a letter that was sent from the Titan, like first officer Murdoch's letters, we show them in the exhibition. That's just one example. I really um, want to see those. I have here, this is going to go into the exhibition, but this here has not yet come that far. This is the wallet from third class passenger, it was Swedish Maurits Wardal, and wow. I've just gotten it on loan from his granddaughter. Wow. So um, I can open it carefully but it's in fairly good condition. So you can't see much, but in this wallet, they found paper, a notebook. They found out other stuff there, plus wow. this watch and, and a few more things. So this one goes into the exhibition. So it's because I, I'm here in Stockholm and, uh, and uh, part of the archive is in Spain because we are going to plan a new exhibition now. So this wallet you just saw goes into the new exhibition where I'm going to tell the story of Maurits Wardal. Wow. And he's interesting because um, he's just one example. Uh, when I um, got in contact with his grandchildren, they said to me that their um, mother's greatest hope and wish in life was to go to Halifax to his grave and put flowers on the father's grave. And I was a bit, um, I didn't know what to say, but I just said, well, I'm sorry. But there is no grave. His body was found, yes. Yeah. But he was buried at sea. Buried at sea. So um, um, possibly his widow couldn't speak to the children and grandchildren about this because it was just too much. But I added, this was in 1987, I said mm -hmm. that if I ever get the chance, I promise I will put flowers on your grandfather's grave. So in 1994, when I was asked to jo by George to go out on the second expedition, I mm -hmm. said, would it be possible to have uh, uh, flowers put on the spot uh, mm -hmm. in memory of Maurits Wardal? And he said, fine. So uh, they arranged actually with a large wreath, and I, I didn't know how to travel with this because it was so big. <laughs> but I had it in hand luggage, and the people on both... Um, Lufthansa and Tahbeer were very kind. So they took this large wreath and put it in the pantry on the airplanes. And I flew down to Punta Delgada on the Azores, and then the ship was waiting there. And we put it in the cold store. It took four days to go out to the Titanic. Wow. The first evening when the uh, submersible had been down in place, so-called transponders of the wreck, mm -hmm. it was evening. We gathered the whole crew on the stern, it was a starlit night, absolutely calm, absolutely flat calm, and very, very peaceful. So I had written a text that was translated into English and French, mm -hmm. because it's a friendship. And then me, Captain Talbot, and George read Swedish, French, and English. Mm -hmm. Then me and the captain took the wreath and put it into the ocean. And at the same time, the whistle on the ship blew, and I wasn't prepared for that. So it was very, very emotional. And then I said a, tele a fax, actually, via satellite to one of the grandchildren saying that tonight in such and such hour, uh, we have put flowers on your grandfather's grave. And I'd say that the whole expedition became a bit different because suddenly it was not just raising artifacts. It was about the story of somebody who had lived and died there. It was a real story. Yeah. So in the uh, autumn of that year, um, one of these grandchildren, Jördis, was invited by George to come to London when this large exhibition opened at the National Maritime Museum. Okay. And then she asked me if it was possible to go and see a little part of this documentary that was made aboard during the expedition, but cut away in the end, where mm -hmm. we took the wreath and put it in the ocean. So I called the producer and I said, fine, class, of course. So we traveled out to Chelsea in London, to a small, small film studio. And there he, he showed us this part mm -hmm. where we took the wreath and, and placed it in the water. And, of course, Jordis was crying a lot. And after that, 
she has been saying all the time that my grandfather's funeral took place in a small film studio in London. Mm. Yeah. And because of this, the story changes, it becomes larger. It's like waves on the water and it grows because it's not just a person. It's a story of so many other things, actually. Yeah. And I met Jördis. She's quite old now. I had a lecture down in the South Sweden, South Sweden and, and she came there to, to, to listen. So it was fantastic to tell the story again and show the pictures for her and the audience uh, about her grandfather. Mm-hmm. That's, and, that's incredible. And there's also something else one should not forget, and that is the Czechish uh, author Milan Kundera. Mm-hmm. He writes in one who is no, in one of his novels. He writes that as long as you mention somebody's name, this person is alive. Mm-hmm. He lives with us. And therefore, by mentioning Maurice Ordal, although he's gone, he still lives, he's with us. Mm-hmm. And it's like this with all the Titanic people. They will always be with us. They will always be alive. Their stories will be told, over, even though it's a short one. We tell their stories. Mm-hmm. And because memory is the most valuable thing we have, we must remember, because that makes us human. There's... Have you seen the movie Coco, the Pixar film? No, not yet. I know what it, you're talking about. Yes, yes I, I yes. It's a beautiful movie, and one of the it takes place in the in the mythical land of the dead um, on Dia de los Muertos. Um, for anyone also who's listening who doesn't know, um, and there's a section where one of the main characters talks to the other about the concept of memories in the afterlife, and he, mm. after watching, sorry, tiny spoilers. This, this movie's been out for a while, but they watch, they watch this, um, someone van, a skeleton vanish. And this little kid go, well, where'd he go? What happened to him? And the adult has to tell him, you know, when there's no one left in the living world to Mm. tell your story, Mm. you disappear from this world. And that's why it was important to, to, you know, put up the altar and to Mm. remember, to speak the name, to tell the story, Mm. to keep the name alive, because you're right. As long as people discuss it, it it's still there. Mm. It's still a part of the the fabric of yeah. what's happening. Someone said to me that you die twice. First, when you die, and the second time, the last time your name is mentioned. Yes, that's what they call it in the movie Coco. He says it is the second death. Mm. Correct. So I I feel that by uh, writing about these people that I've done for so many years, it's it's way of of keeping the memory alive everywhere. Um, because the story of the Titanic is so big and so great, you can only tell fragments of it, parts of it. If I meet young people and they say, I read all books, I said, fine. <laughs> I haven't and I will never do because uh-uh. it's just so much. It's impossible. It's impossible. And there, <laughs> if, if you search um, Titanic on the internet, for example, Google, you will get... I know, <laughs> hundreds of millions of hits yeah from every direction mm. it's it's such it in a, in a good and a bad way it's become such a part of the culture you know mm-hmm. after the movie came out it became you know lines from the movie became quotable in the same way that you know frankly scarlet i don't give a damn and mm. all those other iconic lines now people have added you know King, yeah. king of the world and i'll never let go and it becomes you know it, it has become part of the pop culture and mm-hmm. on the one hand that's great because it, it creates this as we say it keeps the memory alive mm-hmm. but on the other hand i think a little bit maybe you disagree with me but i think sometimes it gets a little bit away from the human story at times it mm-hmm. becomes a little bit more about almost everything else yeah. In, in ethnology, we speak about something that is in German called Gesunkenes Kulturgut, which means mm-hmm. uh, something has sunken into the general agenda, so to speak, the general mm-hmm. knowledge. So if you say Titanic, anybody in the world would know what we're saying because it's become part of everybody's knowledge. Right. And go to ask children in the Amazonas or Philippines or America, wherever on the globe, and you say, mention a boat, and they say, Titanic. 
because it's just so such a big part of of common knowledge now. Yeah. So um, and you have as many inputs as you have people in on the globe. That's <laughs> really. also true. Yeah. I like to ask people this question because I think it's like it's not because it's controversial, but just because I like to know people's opinions. But I know that especially now there's a lot of discussion about you know that it's more accessible and you know, there's been changing in you know the global climate, etc. Mm-hmm. What do you think should be done with the rec now, starting in the year you know twenty twenty two? You know nothing that's been done can be undone, but what do you think should be done with it now going forward? There's not much you can do because Mother Nature is going to destroy everything that a human being has constructed will be mm-hmm. sooner or later. So uh, in the end, uh, the engines will stand there like uh, um, something like uh, uh, um, the ocean's cathedral. I mean, a cathedral standing on 3,800 meters depth and you can't do anything to that because the ship will disappear sooner or later. She will. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important that we keep the stories alive. Yeah. We tell the stories on and on again. And uh, I have well, quite a few objects. And I say like friends, for example, in England, that we are custodians. Mm-hmm. We keep them. They will stay there. We pass. We pass away. We disappear. We die. But it's our task to treat these objects as possibly careful as we can, to yeah. pass them on to the next generation. So this is what we're doing, for example, with the exhibitions, mm-hmm. that we keep them there, we show them there, we tell the stories there. And um, that's how we pass them on. There are many, many collectors uh, on the Titanic, but most of them never show their stuff. They, they're just kept with them. But I feel we should show them, but treat them with dignity and be very careful with them uh, all the time. Yeah. But uh, the wreck itself will disappear. Yes. I have personally nothing against raising objects from the actual wreck. I don't mm-hmm. mind at all. No. Um, there is there is a lot of controversy. There was a lot of controversy when this company, Ormus Titanic, wanted to to bring up the Marconigraph, the, the station. Right. But I don't mind that, because it's better to show this this artifact and tell the story about these brave um, wireless officers, uh, operators, and particularly Jack Phillips and what he did yeah. there. It's it's better to, to show this thing, and then we will remember him. There's one thing showing pictures. Yeah. There is a completely different thing to show a three-dimensional object. It's quite different. We have the worship Vasa here in Stockholm, which is Sweden's foremost tourist attraction. It's a ship that sank in 1628, and it was raised wow. in 1961, and it's on display since. And the whole ship is on display, That's including bodies found on the ship. Yes, I know. But it would never there. happen in the United States. I know, I know, I know. But they're there. <laughs> they're on display. Oh, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I'm just thinking, oh, man, you try to do that in this country. You'd have, you'd have a, that would be a civil war starter. <laughs> yeah, but we do. People are, you go and see them and see, okay, there are skeletons in, sure. in these yeah, showcases, but yeah. nothing more. And then the the heads have been reconstructed, so you can see how they looked like back in 1628. Wow. So, therefore, I feel it's more important to show this worship and tell mm-hmm. the story, and we learned so much about the 17th century through the raising of this ship. I, I they, agree. It's, it's all, they have over one million visitors a year. Yeah. Wow. So if you go to Stockholm, it's a must. It is a must. Yeah, I want to go see that now. Um, you should. I should. I'd love to come to Sweden. Well, but... I take people around the bus and I say, when they come through the doors, I say, remember that you go, come through the doors. It's going to be... Um, Intense. What you're going to see now will stay on your vision, so to speak, for the rest of your life. And I've yep. seen people taking steps back and people saying, oh, my God, 
because it's so awesome to see the whole ship. Yeah. Incredible. It, it sounds stunning. Like it not is stunning. it is it literally stunning. Mm -hmm. And you're you're very right about the necessity of tactility to learn. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm an extremely touch driven person. I can look in pictures all day and pictures are wonderful. I mean, mm -hmm. I have a print of Titanic behind me, mm -hmm. some beautiful photos in the world. Mm -hmm. I've seen, I saw a photo the other day that stopped me dead in my tracks. It was a thunderstorm taken from space. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. fascinating. Mm -hmm. And photography can tell you so much, but yeah. I was really lucky. Um, I met a mutual friend of ours, Craig, at the Titanic oh, yeah. convention in August, and he introduced me to Paul Burns, and oh, Paul yeah. Burns was doing a little demo whoop, with Madeline Astor's life mm. belt um, for now, us all to see. The exhibition, yes. Yeah. And um, because I'm a very touch-driven person and I haven't grown out of the five-year-old stage of can I touch it, um, mm. I, he did actually let me touch the life belt, and I'm I did I'm I'm I love to pick things up and look at them, and mm. I'm very much that way. But you don't realize how impactful things, especially historical items, can mm. be unless you are given that privilege to be around them, because they mm. don't just carry the weight of themselves. Like I'm holding a mug in my hand; it's a few ounces, mm. not even a pound. The life belt wasn't heavy, but what it carried was its legacy. Mm. When we planned the uh, Titanic Artifact Exhibition in 1991, we traveled down to Paris uh, in 1990, me, the producer and the architect. Mm -hmm. And so we went out to this storage somewhere in the outskirts of Paris. There, there are these enormous wooden boxes and opened one of them and brought up a cup, a third class cup. Wow. And I mean, I was so much, had been so much into the story. I'd never seen anything from the Titanic. Yeah. So I just asked, asked, can I hold it, please? Yeah. Yeah. Said, and gave it to me. And then I said to myself, okay, I'm dying now. I'm going to yeah. die now. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, obviously. Yeah. This third class cup, to hold it, this just common cup that so many people on the Titanic had used, this kind of cup, meant so much to me. So that yeah. uh, actually the object that comes closest to me uh, Nowadays, it is the cup, the first yeah. thing I ever touched. But after that, I mean, I've become so accustomed to all these artifacts and everything mm -hmm. that's been raised. Because we had this exhibition uh, in, in Stockholm, in south, on the west coast, and in Oslo, in Norway. So oh. I was there all the time, uh, working with the artifacts. I was quite used to it. Yeah. So one yeah. other funny thing that happened was lots of things. In 1994, out on the ship, we had raised a couple of champagne bottles. Oh, yeah. They had been on the bottom for 85 years. And the pressure of the ocean had pressed down the cork. And throughout the years, these sort of steel bands had rusted away. Right. And when the champagne bottles came up in atmospheric pressure again, the the cork started going the other way. And I was passing the laboratory. I heard somebody scream. Walked in there with our conservator, Rhonda Wozniak, and she was holding one of the champagne bottles, the cork, and she said to me, I don't know what to do, Klaus, because the champagne was sort of bubbling out. <laughs> and we tried to collect it in a plastic bag. But what could we do? There was not, not much to do, you know. <laughs> One of those things, just one of those things, stories oh, yeah. from, from the expedition was quite fun, though. That <laughs> I think so the story is more interesting than the champagne bottle at this point. <laughs> it's just one story. Yeah. It needed to celebrate being uh, released from the bottom of the ocean. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I know. There is. There's so many things and in each one of them has a story, even if it's, you know, mm -hmm. a past story or a present story, because, mm -hmm. you know, you think about the context, that champagne bottle might have just been in the kitchen the whole time and then mm -hmm. not that special, but it becomes special because it was raised from a thing. Yeah. And then you mm -hmm. have the story to tell about, oh, gosh, remember, hey, Rhonda, remember the champagne incident? And then mm -hmm. the story lives on and and things continue on in that matter. And it's really it it is important to continue to tie these things into mm. the the present because 
it's again it goes back to this that same point of keeping things alive and you know causing those reactions in people is important like ironically um i didn't quite cry when i was holding the life belt but that's mm-hmm. only because we had just had a discussion about how mm-hmm. it was so well preserved because mm-hmm. it never touched salt water and i was like well mm-hmm. it would be ironic if i wept all over it and it disintegrated so i shouldn't do that i don't think yeah. um but it it's important for people to be able to actually see and identify with things is when mm-hmm. i went to see the vegas exhibit my oh, yeah. favorite my favorite part of the whole thing was not actually the big piece. There's this little case in one of the second or third room, maybe, that's full of personal artifacts that were pulled from passengers' luggage. Things, cups, plates, mm-hmm. um, drink, drink receptacles, mostly. Mm-hmm. And just, they didn't know whose they were, most no. of them. No. Um, and a lot of them didn't have stories. And they were all what I loved was that they were all different. Like one was this elegant picture with this beautiful Grecian looking painting on it. Another Mm. one was just a plain looking mug, but you Mm. then look at them and who owned that? Where Mm. was it going? Was this a Mm. wedding gift? Was this just your favorite mug? Mm. Mm -hmm. These were things that people were taking with them to a new life. Yeah. 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 I know what you're talking about. When you mentioned the champagne bottles, did you ever consider the fact that there were quite few uh, for example, passengers in first class. Mm-hmm. So half, at least half of all these cabins and suites were never used. Right. They went down unused, yeah. uninhabited. If you hold on a second, I'm going to go and bring a photo and show to you that you will find more than interesting. Sure. Yeah. I can, I can talk to myself for a minute. <laughs> yeah. I'm 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 still absolutely stunned by the number. I thought I had a lot of Titanic books, but mine fit in a banker's box. It came to my mind now. Uh, let's see. Well, here we are. This is. I mean, I don't look. I'm not as fresh today as. But you see here. Yes, I've seen that. I I love you sent me that photo. I love that yeah. photo. Yeah. You. Yes, that's right. I sent it to you. Yes, um, I'll I'll try to remember to post it when I put the episode out. It is. It is. Klaus in the 80s? Yeah, here, this is 1991. 91. Yeah, and this is the bronze boy from the aft staircase. Yes. The little brown, the bronze brown, bronze cherub. There we go. Yeah, I'm not correct. good with words. We, we had, I have, uh, let's see if there was anything else. That one's, I'm losing track a little bit. That, that particular artifact is not in Vegas, is it? The bronze no. boy. No, it's not. Uh, well, there are lots of other photos because we did, when we took it to Oslo, to Norway, mm-hmm. I had a photographer there, photograph everything. So, right, right. I'm on slides, but that's nothing. But uh, I mean, this, the artifacts is just one part of the whole story. There's so many yeah. more interesting parts in this. Like what? I'm curious. Well, uh, I've written about, uh, you can call it wishful thinking when sure. it comes to the hymn <laughs> that's one example the hymn. yes i let's please talk about this hymn i have so many opinions because i'm a music person i, I studied violin for for classically for yeah. 12 years uh-huh. and there's so much never mm-hmm. you you start you, your opinion is going to be smarter than mine please continue well <laughs> usually when when I, I always keep getting this question about the hymn i say that first of all um, it it has to do with the nationality of the survivor when you have to decide the the hymn. If you're from the United States or Canada, you will say that um, the hymn played was with the setting by Lowell Mason. Mm-hmm. If you're an English survivor, you will say it was um, one of the three um, British settings. So you have to decide first what kind of survivor was it? Mm-hmm. Eva Hart, uh, seven years old, heard the hymn, she said, but she was British. And then she would say that this is the hymn played in British churches. Whereas this uh, survivor in first class, um, Vera Dick, she was um, from Canada, mm-hmm. and therefore she said that the hymn played was the one by Lowell Mason. Yeah. So that's the first thing. You have to decide what version was it. Yeah. And uh, Bry, the second operator, says autumn, as you might know, autumn. Mm-hmm. 
but since English people don't speak French too well, he meant possibly Saint-Stouton, which mm. is French waltz, beautiful yes. French waltz. Yes. So he might actually have said that the last tune played by the musicians was a waltz, a melancholic waltz. It could Fitting. have been. But here, because we will never get an answer. No. Here's the one of the clues to why Titanic is so fascinating, because we will ne never get answers. Never. We will only have questions. Precisely. Yeah. And, I, and that I, I believe that is part of the the mystery is that I, I think there might be, as you said, a little wishful thinking in that there might mm -hmm. be some way, somehow we're going to discover like, ah, the fingerprint left on Hartley's violin shows the last note he played was this, which is the last yeah. note of this melody. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. never going to happen. And I think yeah. it's just at, like, it's wishful thinking that someday we're going to get a, ah, ha, ha, and we're going <laughs> to, we're just going to get the answers because yeah. science or magic. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it, it just, we'll never know. I, I try to stay sober when it comes to these emotional stories, of course. It's, it's, I fail. It, yeah, it's difficult because there is so much uh, emotion involved. Yeah. And if you just tell, read the stories from the Inquirer, for example, I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling. Uh, when we were working with exhibition in Hamburg in 1996, 97, early 97, I told the architect, Uwe, I had copied a couple of pages from the American Inquiry. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, read these. Oh, yes, I'll do that whenever I have time. And next day I said, have you read it? No, no, I don't have time. <laughs> I think the second or third day I said, have you read them? Yes, he said, but I couldn't sleep afterwards. Yeah. Because it was one of the officers who was asked uh, in, in New York, about, he was in the lifeboat yeah. and he said to Senator Smith, we waited until it had thinned out. And Senator Smith couldn't accept this. He said, why didn't you row back? That was suicide, sir. We couldn't. 1,000 people fighting in the water, one lifeboat. We couldn't go back. So the word, we waited until it had thinned out. Gosh. Yes, that's what they did. And when they returned... They could find four people alive, and one of them, Mr. Hoyt, he died in the lifeboat. Only three people. It's so easy mm -hmm. to forget how grim the aftermath is mm -hmm. for people. Yeah. We're, we're removed from it now. Like I've brought this example up on the show many times just because it's mm -hmm. one I'm personally familiar with, which mm -hmm. is 9-11. I was very, I was young enough when that happened that, that I, I was 13. Yeah. 12 yeah. or 13 yeah. and i remember the somber nature and and, and yeah. you know how things were mm. and we're not far enough away from that disaster where we can look back on it mm. like titanic and ask mm. these these questions and mm. we're still sort of in the grieving stage and i think being 80 90 100 years away mm. from titanic it's easy to to, to hear that phrasing and flinch mm. that whole you wait, how could you wait till it thinned out? You know, what, what a concept, what a notion. And um, it's hard to think about being in that literal impossible position that you were just describing. Mm -hmm. You have, even if we, if you and I were in a lifeboat, just the two of us, that yeah. means we've got room for about 60 people mm -hmm. and we bravely row out to 1500 strugglers. Yeah. What the heck do you think is going to happen to us in our little boat? No one's, two people leave zero return. No, you can't. It was impossible. Uh, um, Four-year-old Margit Sandström, they lived in San Francisco then and returned to Sweden. Mm -hmm. she, she used to say her, to her mother when she was a kid, now they're calling over the water again, mother. She heard these screams. And, and Eva Hart, who was seven, she told me she also heard these screams. But then her mother said to her, that wasn't the worst. The worst mm -hmm. worse than they couldn't hear any more screams. I've, I've heard that too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But this is what she told me, Eva. And I heard it from other survivors too. It's... <sighs> it's I've hard. Never... Yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. 
uh, and then you think of all the romance involved with the Titanic and so on, and I'll never let you go, and all these things. But the, these were people who lived and died there. They were real people. And, I called uh, it dreamwashing in a previous mm -hmm. episode. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I think happens when you turn uh, any historical event into a movie or a TV show mm -hmm. with, with some mm -hmm. fictionalized. And it's, it's no one's fault. I don't think because, you know, there, I think they're wonderful ways to tell stories. And I think it becomes this thing where by introducing it, crossing it over slightly into that line of fiction, mm -hmm. it allows for a little bit of that oh, dream washing is the silly word I'm using because I don't have mm -hmm. a real word. Rose colored glasses in retrospect where you kind of. As mm -hmm. you said, look back mm -hmm. with romance because it's been mm -hmm. shown to you with romance and that's not necessarily a terrible thing. But as you said, it's it's about these women and children who it's not about what sound what song was playing at the end of the day. It was the sound of screaming and then the sound mm -hmm. of silence. Yeah. And I, I have um, researched and written a book about uh, what happened in the Baltic in 1945 and mm -hmm and the greatest sea disaster of all time, Wilhelm Gustloff. And I've interviewed several people, several survivors from Wilhelm Gustloff. I don't mm -hmm. think there's hardly anybody alive today. But um, the stories they told me, uh, because this was in January, there was a storm, there was snow, minus 18. Um, it's incredible <laughs> that people could survive. And we had people living here in Sweden that I interviewed, and also in Germany. Um, and um, it was heartbreaking, really heartbreaking. One of the survivors told me that the worst of all, because there was, they think there were possibly 5,000 children about, aboard this group, Wilhelm Gustav. There were over 10,000 people aboard. And they managed to save about 1,000. So almost 10,000 people died. But one of the survivors, Eva Rothschild, told me that the worst of it all was she was sitting in the lifeboat and she saw these children. They had life jackets, but they were too big. So they turned these children upside down and they saw she saw their feet floating by, sticking up from the water. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is something other survivors have told as well about. And when I think of it, this enormous catastrophe that was never talked about because this was war. This was 1945, yeah. end of the war. And they were forbidden to talk about it to start with. And then after that, no one um, wanted to hear about disasters in Germany. But I was in a meeting in 1995, the 50th anniversary, and then I met 200 survivors and people from the rescue ships. And this was incredible. And then I had to put Titanic in a perspective because there was no romance with the Wilhelm Gustloff, no nothing. They were just refugees trying to save their lives. They had nothing left for their own lives. They had left everything, yeah. just fleeing. And it was January. And it's just sheer horror all the way. Um, and it is. It, I wrote a book in Swedish here um, that has been translated into English called Sea of Death. It's it's very much about Wilhelm Gustloff, but but it's so different from the Titanic. Very much different. There's no romance, no orchestra playing. There's no shimmer of the whole story. It's just. No disaster I, I i'm not super familiar with with maritime history but it, yeah. it, that reminds me of one disaster that i keep bringing up which is reasonably mm. modern and that's the 2014 sinking of the seawall ferry mm. and it very much reminds me of that and there's no there was no romance or shimmer no. or or gl glory or that was mm. just school children and families mm -hmm. dying mm -hmm. Mm -hmm on camera mm. and but we, you know, therefore you have if you look at Titanic I can understand why she's become so big because sure there is this story or 712 stories 712 survivors yes uh, 
and many of them could tell stories. And there is a large deal of romance with rich people and romantic stories and so on and so on. Yeah. yeah. And I can understand why this has become so popular. There's there is a lot of a lot of reasons why it is popular and on like like we discussed on the one hand it is good because it does keep the stories of the people who survived and mm-hmm. equally importantly the people that were lost mm-hmm. who's th- those are the people that I I not to say that there's anything wrong with survivors I mean that's not what that was trying to say but I I'm interested in the people whose stories were were just ended you know, mm-hmm. there were probably people who were coming to America for good reasons, and there's people yes. who are coming for awful reasons, and mm-hmm. people coming mm-hmm. on a whim because they have nothing else to do. And who mm-hmm. who were you? What did what did mm-hmm. you want to do? What would mm-hmm. you what were you going to be? Who would you have become? Mm-hmm. It's fun isn't the word that I want, mm-hmm. but you, I like to yeah. think about that. If you think of, uh, I've studied a couple of the Swedish male survivors who said that this is not unique. We have about 100 persons, male survivors, who said the same, that I jumped into the water and swam to a lifeboat. One of them, uh, he had picked up his fiancée in South Sweden, and in one way or the other, they got lost and he had stepped into boat 15 on the starboard side. And when he came to the Carpathia, he realized that she was gone. Then he had to uh, rebuild his memory. He had to tell a different story. He had to say, I placed her in a lifeboat that capsized, but no such thing happened. No, no lifeboat capsized, except for boat A, right. boat B. But he he couldn't tell the true story. And another Swedish passenger had, was traveling with his sister and his niece, and they both died. And in New York, he met his brother-in-law, right. who had lost his wife and his daughter. Could he then say, I stepped into a lifeboat and left them to die on the Titanic? No, he couldn't. He had to redo his story he had to rebuild his memory. He had to, to construct a completely new story. And I then wonder how many thought, people that happened to. Yeah, and then they had to live with their memory. The memory they tried to erase, but they couldn't. They tried to build up something new, but possibly somewhere deep down in their memory was the true story, the real story. And it it's... It must have been traumatizing yeah. for so many of them with this guilt, living with guilt for 30, 40, 50 years. Because we li- even now almost, but especially then, it was a time where male survival was mm-hmm. vilified. Even if you had boarded completely legitimately, or, mm-hmm. you know, especially mm-hmm. in the earlier boats when they were much more lenient, you know, even if you yeah. had complete and utter reason to be on this boat, and even if they picked you up and thrown you in there just to make a point about getting people on the lifeboats, mm-hmm. there's no mm-hmm. way that story paints you as a hero when you make it to New York. Yeah, I know. And there were still so many seats left unused in, in lifeboats. Did you know, by the way, that... Uh, there were 333 women saved and 323 men. So it's a difference of 10, ten people. If you count the children, boys as men and girls as women, the mm-hmm. difference is six people. And this story couldn't be told in 1912. Because no. You had to tell the story of those men who stood back and so on and so on, but but it is a fact. If you follow only the narrative, you would think that mm. the ratio is probably closer to 75-25 just based on it's the not. vernacular. It's not. Oh, no, no, I didn't. I knew, I didn't know. Is that interest, interesting? Yeah. Not the right word, but yeah, until someone tells you, you don't know. No, I know. 
I know. But I was, it's a friend of mine who has a photographic memory and he's helped me to build up the um, statistics and everything. And mm-hmm. years and years ago, he pointed out, did you know that there's only a difference between 10 people between saved women and saved men? I probably would have walked into a wall yeah. if someone had told me that unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a fact. And then also... It was stigmatizing for men to survive, and therefore yes. they say that I jumped into the water when, in fact, so many lifeboats were half empty. Mm-hmm. And, and also, you have the difference between the port side and the starboard side. And I guess you know <coughs> that on the port side, Second Officer Lightoller was in charge, mm-hmm. and he didn't let any men into no. the boat. And on the starboard side, First Officer Murdoch was in charge. And if there was room, any man could Good step boy. in. And in the aftermath, um, it's like this, that over 80% of the uh, surviving males, passenger males, mm-hmm. they had their lives thanks to William Murdoch. Who died yes. in but he... definitely not as being shown in Cameron's film. No. We um... have... We had an issue, Cameron and myself, when we talked about this. But I, I bet, and the reason yeah. I was going to say this because Craig also told the favorite's the wrong word. First Officer Murdoch is my Titanic person, if that makes sense. Cool. He was doing what he, you you shouldn't name anybody hero because then you can't study them, you can't do scientific research, but. He worked putting himself as a second person and everybody else as first person. Mm-hmm. His task, he fulfilled the task of saving as many persons as possible. And he's yeah. actually the person who saved most people from the Titanic. He yeah. did. He is. He died when he disappeared in the water, but he yeah. did not use his firearm. He didn't shoot anybody. He didn't commit suicide. This yeah. is absolutely false. My biggest but, issue with the film... Yeah. Suicide, suicide aside, just because I, I, I don't like to get into, mm-hmm. that's a big thing about mental health, but the, mm-hmm. my issues with with the whole portrayal were that up till then, the reason he, he you know, committed suicide was because he'd shot another person, which was like, yeah. that seems unlikely. And the reason he shot another person was, and he was agitated over the guilt of a bribe, which also seems mm-hmm. out of character. So it's like, we started down this really dicey path and long story short but he was my my favorite character in the movie when i was younger because when i was younger Mm -hmm. i was just like oh he's cute and then i got (laughs) older and when i heard about the controversy and started actually researching Mm -hmm. him and his story he became a very compelling figure to me so he Mm -hmm. actually stays kind of front of my mind at at all times Mm -hmm. when i'm doing this research Uh, uh, james cameron didn't write the script himself right i'm going to show you it's never a one man's job (laughs) i'm going to show you the manuscript here and see what you think about this. You see the name there? <laughs> that would have been such a wild film if you'd have been involved. Sorry, I, am I allowed to say what it says out loud? Yes, of course. That says Titanic, uh, James Cameron and Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I have the manuscript here. Wonderful. So, yeah. So uh, uh, there you are. No wonder why there is blood and murder in the, in the film. I have a friend who plays roller derby. Her um, her roller derby name is Tarantina, so I'm going to be sending her that fact uh, immediately. Um, she's going to be so mad that I've managed to weave Titanic into her life again. Um, when, you, when you approach Hollywood, they will say there are different versions of the manuscript, and they well, don't want to acknowledge this at all. But I have the manuscript here, and I've had it ever since it was printed it was not meant for circulation at all but a friend of mine now mm-hmm. just in southampton got hold of it and sent it to me and we've actually had it on display in an exhibition i made with the national maritime museum of of cornwall in falmouth so we Amazing. had it there and it was shown there and i, I also had it in my book from 2008 so it has been published yes so it's it's not a hidden fact amazing but, yeah I know, but now you know. <laughs> I do. It's mm-hmm. like we said earlier. Historical stuff aside, the movie Titanic is a beautiful, mm-hmm. well done, extremely movie, mm-hmm. and it's it's fun. It's a good story. I do have to say, I think it is a really 
well done visual even if it's not 100% accurate all the time mm -hmm. it is a very well done visual representation yeah. of the size and grandeur of Titanic mm -hmm. and even if it's not totally accurate you get you get how opulent it was you get an idea of how big mm -hmm. it, yes. it she yeah. was and uh, I think there will be new films made about the Titanic in days to come what year do you think we're going to see our next Titanic film uh, more on the personal side, I'd say. That's fair. Uh, and also, of course, the wreck. Of course, but I would say if there is going to be a movie, it has to be a personal story, something like that. I'd love to see. I think biopic is the word that I want. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see a biopic of, obviously, again, Murdoch's my favorite, so I'd love to see a biopic of him, but. Of any of the light toller, I'm sure would be a fascinating one, being as he was the the, the highest ranking survivor. I'm sure there's quite a story there, but mm -hmm. it would be it, wonderful to see a story like that. It's it's difficult with light toller, oh, I'm very sure. difficult because he denied so many men to go into the lifeboats. So yeah. I have plenty of stories from survivors who saw men being held there. Mm -hmm. He was just an example, but like. Someone, someone, someone whose story to tell on a micro level, mm. taking a closer look at them. And if you look at the staff from the a la carte restaurant, mm. um, it's very tragic because That's... I think they were held back. I, I and Angelica back. and I got into this a little bit discussing the Paracchio mm. brothers and mm. first yes. of all, they were so young. Everyone in that restaurant, just yeah. boys. And, uh, I have some um, um, examples pointing at that they were actually locked in. It's oh. impossible to prove completely because nobody of the surviving crew would say anything about it. But there are hints of this happening. That first of all, they were held back and then that they couldn't even get out. There is an unspeakable amount of terror mm -hmm. that must come with the notion that first of all disaster is impending mm -hmm. and second of all that some people out there thought so little of you that they denied you your chance to fight for mm -hmm. your own survival mm -hmm. an, there's an incredible romance that comes with the story and i think a lot of it is not in, even if it's unintentional it is to disguise the fact that during a disaster horrible disastrous and ugly things happen mm-hmm Yes. And they're not yeah. just flukes. No, I know. I know. And, you know, I know I hate to end things on a super downer note, but it's it's no, it's, it's, it's the notion that it is a human story. Mm, and don't. Titanic is a bright <laughs> It does. People yeah. love it. But it, it, ignoring the fact that things like heavily racially motivated mm. hate crimes <laughs> might have happened doesn't do the story any favors. No, and ugly or not, it's important to acknowledge. But I do have a final question for you, and I asked mm -hmm. the same question to George Behe. And my question is because you mentioned younger people. Mm -hmm. For people who are younger, like I, I'm in my early 30s, so I'm mm -hmm. referring to anyone like 40 and below by quote unquote younger. Mm -hmm. What is important to people who are newer to the Titanic world? to keep front of mind what is what are what is the important thing for them as we get further away from the wreck mm -hmm. we've lost all the survivors mm -hmm. we're getting further away from secondhand accounts mm -hmm. for all these newcomers cumbers comers what do you what do you in your opinion think is most important for them to keep <sighs> keep central the first thing that comes into my mind is the human story mm -hmm. the people's stories history yeah. I know young people have become interested in history thanks to coming to the exhibition that expeditions exhibitions I've done or reading my books and and then I think I fulfilled my task that people young people become interested in history and also the human story of the Titanic. Yeah. Well, class that was I learned so much. Thank in you. just this time, I now need to get as many of your books that are out in English as I as I can because mm -hmm. you there's so much and people can learn not just from 
reading your books, but by looking at your work. And I highly encourage anyone who is um, near the exhibition, which is now in New York, to mm-hmm. to go ahead and go see mm-hmm. that and keep an eye mm-hmm. on its on its future future mm-hmm. destinations for where it will be um, when it might be coming to a city slash country country yeah. near you. You can even buy the catalogue there, which I, I have written. Ah, there yeah. we go. See, there we go. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on. Thank you, too, for having me. Thank you. I want to thank Klaus so much for coming on the show and for talking to me about his amazing experiences in the Titanic community and his writing. And um, I wish that conversation could have gone on for longer. Uh, As always, get in touch with the show. If you would like, you can email me at titanictalkline at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, on Facebook. That's Titanic Talkline. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word, Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at titanictalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!